0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 5th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal agencies sometimes act to prohibit behavior even when a statute is less than clear. And when regulations themselves are less than clear, agencies produce guidance documents to tell the public how to interpret the regulation. The process needs to change, and in some ways it is. Cato senior fellow Walter Olson comments on the power of this restrictive guidance. Congress passes a law, they provide an edict essentially to a regulatory agency, you shall do X, and the agency says, well, that's not really a lot to go on. I guess we'll have to write a bunch of regulations doing our best to try to do X. And then when the regulations themselves aren't necessarily that clear, the agency is able to produce guidance documents which help the private sector Understand the regulation that has been put in place from the statute that may not have been all that clear to begin with, and I have a lot of sympathy for agencies that are trying to do their best to issue uh, guidance, issue regulations that are uh, follow what Congress may or may not have intended. Yeah.
1: Guidance documents can do a couple of things, and one of them is. Define how the agency operates and perhaps give the agency more authority and more functions, uh, allow it to collect more information than you would think to look at the statute. But also, guidance documents interpret laws which specifically prescribe what's illegal for the private sector to do. So you can have a law banning uh, private companies from doing A, B, and C, and then guidance documents uh, issued perhaps 30, 40 years later by the agency uh, saying – Uh, On looking at this, we've decided that uh, these additional things are also covered by the ban. Uh, In the meantime, there has been no new legislation. There has been no formal regulatory process, which every agency can do, by which they can uh, propose to extend the law into new areas. Instead it's done uh, kind of under the table by guidance and this has been... Uh, the subject of a lot of outrage and protest for many, many years from uh, scholars at Cato, from uh, the, the regulated industry uh, for pretty basic rule of law reasons, which is uh, people deserve to know uh, whether their actions are unlawful or not. When a statute is not clear about that, uh, the law should not change subjectively uh, and over time based on uh, who happens to be elected in the administration. It should be uh, one clear objective standard. And If they want to change that, there are separate arguments about whether or not agencies should be able to extend the law by regulation, but let's assume that we've gotten that. Uh, and certainly, the, the qu- courts have approved of that delegation of legislative power. If they're going to change the law, then the formal regulatory process provides a bunch of protections. They have to uh, give notice that they're going to do it beforehand, for example, so that anyone who is currently doing that practice that might be banned has a chance to say, wait a minute, it's going to be illegal next year. Uh, they have to. Op- Afford an opportunity for notice and comment, which means they have to hear back, and of course the regulation can be challenged in court. And a lot of regulations get knocked down by court, in part because of this three-step process: uh, they have to give notice, uh, the regulated parties react and say, "Oh no, that's a terrible idea," you know, "we're doing a couple of things that are absolutely necessary and 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 constructive that you would be, be banning," and then that comment, that feedback uh, allows the court, should the agency go ahead and adopt a bad new regulation, allows the court to say, no, uh, uh, this does not pass uh, your mandate for only cost-effective regulations or only, uh, uh, you know, it it, it, uh, isn't in the public interest, whatever the standard may be. uh, That ability to uh, get onto the record with objections uh, is a very important protection for the regulated community with regular formal regulations. Now turn to guidance documents. All of a sudden those protections are absent. You can find out that a guidance document came out six months ago banning what you've been doing in the intervening six months. Uh, you can find that it came out with no uh, opportunity to comment on it and uh, that it's too late basically uh, even though you had a great objection that would have convinced them and then if it winds up in court comes the unkindest cut of all, which is the court may defer to the agency's view as expressed in the guidance document. So you don't even have a really uh, level playing field in convincing the judge, look, this is a bad turn in the law. Trevor Burrus And so uh, courts, you say,
0: they don't just defer to, they would certainly defer to statute in many cases, unless it's unconstitutional. They would defer to regulations as a a uh, good faith attempt perhaps to 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 implement the what's in the statute but deferring to a let's say whimsical agency interpretation of a regulation courts also defer to those
1: yeah it's a question of diverting uh, d- deferring to the Agencies interpretation of what? Now, there are these big controversies in law about uh, how much deference courts should give to uh, agencies interpretation of their underlying statute, the statute that they enforce. Um, But when it comes to these uh, more informal documents, the idea of giving deference to something that has never been forged in the crucible, as it were, of having to stand up to uh, notice and comment, having to be announced in such a way that Congress can notice it and perhaps Congress can you know, hold a hearing saying we think the law is going in the wrong direction. Lots of feedback mechanisms uh, that are all skipped and yet it deserves deference. So argue the agencies in many of these cases. And so uh, Congress uh, always uh, able to
0: benefit from vagueness. Uh, they don't mind passing vague laws – that then they can wag their finger at an agency for having implemented completely outside what we meant when we wrote this extremely vague law.
1: Yes, Congress. Is constantly maximizing its political popularity for these things, so it will pass a law saying agencies shall follow the public interest in enforcing this. And then, uh, over the next few years, the agency issues three popular regulations for which Congress, of course, takes full credit, and one p- regulation that turns out to be deeply unpopular. And Congress holds outrage hearings afterwards, saying, "We told you only to follow the public the public interest." You know, this is outrageous. How could you think this is in the public interest? And the agency, and here is where, you, as you said, it, you have to kind of sympathize with the agency because even if they are uh, not especially trying to uh, tilt the game in any one direction, they've got to come out somewhere with an interpretation. And Congress is always going to um, shift the responsibility when convenient and not at other times.
0: So by rescinding uh, guidance documents, and the Trump administration has thrown out at least 25 of these uh, documents that they've identified as uh, what?
1: Well, this has gone on in several stages and continues to go on. It, uh, the big news story was Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, announcing, basically the point of principle, which is uh, we no longer are going to assert that the agency's word is law in in guidance documents. Uh, it is not necessarily law, and we are not going to defend uh, the. Assertion in many of these cases that the agency has made new law by issuing these guidance documents. And then more clarity came uh, later in. 2017 in December, when the Justice Department announced that after a review, and, and Sessions had promised to go back and review old guidance documents, that they had identified 25 that flunked at least one of three different standards. Now, uh, the, the, the it, it's important to clarify on this point. They're not declaring war on all guidance documents. Um, obviously, sometimes it's useful for the, the government to put out, if, uh, you know, frequently asked questions saying, um, you know, this this term is unclear clear what has it meant in uh, practice, you know, pointed to court decisions, pointed to their guess as to how courts will rule, but instead uh, they said the 25 documents that they were throwing out uh, were, uh, one, outdated, two, used to circumvent the regulatory process, just what we've been talking about, or three, improperly goes beyond what is provided for in statutes and regulation, uh, and that these three, at least, types of bad guidance documents, quote, should not be given effect, unquote.
0: Uh, Jeff Sessions is uh, quoted in this story at the New York Times uh, that was written in December, written by Charlie Savage. He says, "We have prohibited all Department of Justice components from issuing any guidance that purports to impose new obligations on any party outside of the executive branch. We will review and repeal existing guidance documents that violate this common sense principle."
1: Yeah, and so. <laughs> He is keeping the focus on the point of principle, which is uh, it's not improper to issue guidance. It is improper to say that you've changed the law by doing so. This puts an onus back on Congress, it would seem. It certainly does that. if Congress... Uh, believes that the law has not kept up with the times in some area, that the law should be more prohibitive than it was, Uh, it's not supposed to just stand back there and let agencies uh, quietly reinterpret and expand the law. That's Congress's job. Uh, Congress needs to get back and um, take the heat, as it were, if it wants to ban new things rather than letting this all be done through sub-regulatory process.
0: All right. So uh – Are we expecting the Department of Justice to... Uh, continue. You said that this process is ongoing. Or should we expect more guidance documents to go away? And are there any in particular that you're aware of that you think, oh, this has got to be this is a prime target right here?
1: Well, some of the prime targets have already been addressed through other mechanisms. For example, it, at the Department of Education, uh, uh, that and the labor area were two areas where uh, the Obama administration really went kind of wild with uh, doing major new directions in regulation through the use of Dear Colleague Letters and other subregulatory documents. and When Education Secretary Betsy DeVos uh, slammed the brakes on one of those, I believe it was in uh, Title IX uh, application for the college disciplinary process, uh, she had some language, I don't have it directly in front of me, but about the, the era of regulation by Dear Colleague Letter ends today. So It's clearly the same process going on, even though that one, I don't believe, was routed through the Justice Department uh, primarily.
0: Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.